Hello and welcome to another episode of Cast It Into The Fire podcast. I'm on again with Mom. Hi. And this is chapter 17 of The Hobbit, The Clouds Burst. Um, we're actually going to do just one chapter um, this time, but it's an eventful chapter. Um, so it starts off that trumpets are ringing early in the camp and a runner comes along the path and um, there's the arrival of Dane's dwarf warriors from the Iron Hills. And actually, sorry, this messenger was not from them. It was news. The Lakemen and the Elves had gotten news of um, Dane's warriors, and they sent a runner to the dwarves with a message, and Thorin. Um, bid for them to come few in number and with no weapons, and he would listen to them. And about 20 came, and they actually, you know, they left their weapons behind and went on toward the gate. And there was... Bard, the elven king. And an old man in a cloak and hood, bearing a strong casket of iron-bound wood... Uh, take a good guess what's in that. And, um, Bard is the one who calls out to Thorn and asks if he is still of the same mind, and Thorn's like, I don't just change my mind in a few days. Um, why you come to ask me idle questions and you still brought the elves with you? Um, you're not going to bargain with me while they're still here. And Bard asks if there's any anything that would get him to yield any of the gold. And Thorin answers that nothing that they could offer. Or their friends. And then Bard asks what about the Arkenstone of Thrain. And the old man opens up the casket and holds up the jewel. And the light's shining from it. And Thorn is just in shock. Now, I, I want to say something that the word casket is used, but most of us think of a casket as something holding a body. And in this case... It's a it little is, box. It's a box. It's a wooden and iron box. And not enormously large because it fit in Bilbo's pocket, the, the stone did. So I doubt very much if... Uh, so I'm picturing something the size of like a jewelry box. Yeah, me too. And after Thorne's, you know, shock is a bit less, he he's enraged and he says, that stone was my father's, it's mine. You know, why would I purchase it back? It's already mine. And how did you get it? And Bard answers that he are not thieves, 
and he'll give it back in return for what's theirs. And Thorn again, how how came you by it? And he's getting really enraged. And Bilbo um, admits that it was him who uh, gave the stone and he's looking over the wall too and he's in a dreadful fright. And, and Thorn, his voice was actually squeaking as opposed to speaking. He was squeaking. And Thorin just grabs him with both hands and is shaking him. You miserable hobbit, you undersized burglar. By the beard of Durin, I wish I had Gandalf here. Curse him for his choice of you. May his beard wither. As for you, I will throw you to the rocks. And he actually picks Bilbo up. Like he's going to throw him. And right then a voice says, Stay, your wish is granted. And the old man throws aside his cloak and his hood. And um, as you probably guessed, this is Gandalf. And he says, If you don't like my burglar, please don't damage him. Put him down and listen first to what he has to say. And Thorn does um, set Bilbo down. On top of the wall. Yeah, it actually says he drops him onto the wall, but we didn't drop him over the wall, so there's that. Um, and Thorne, like, you all seem to be in league, and I'm never going to have dealings with wizards or um, the friends again. And he calls Bilbo a descendant of rats. And, and he says, what do you have to say, you descendant <laughs> of rats? Which, really, I'm sure... I'm sure that's... Bilbo's already more rattled than he could possibly be, but that that's sort I'm of sure, rattling. I'm sure hobbits find the rat thing insulting. Or most oh, yeah. would, anybody would. Um, and um, Bilbo says that you remember that you said I could choose my own 14th share. Perhaps he took it too literally. And that's... Um, Dwarves are sometimes politer in word than in deed. Descendants of rats indeed. Is this all the service of you and your family that I was promised, Thorin? Take it that I have disposed of my share as I wished and let it go at that. And Bilbo... uh, After Bilbo says that, Thorin says that he will, but leave and never want to see you again. And, you know, he says he's betrayed. And then it was guessed rightly that he wouldn't, you know, just let the Arkenstone go and um, would pay for it with the gold. Gold and silver setting aside the gems. Which I guess means that maybe there are more gems than that that uh, Thorin... What a thought well, important. I, I think gold and silver were considered separate from gems. Gems might be diamonds, rubies, sapphires, you know, gemstones. Is that how I see it? But then again, and in modern, in modern market value anyway, like some gems are not worth all that much, even though they're pretty, and some are worth a lot more than gold. So yeah. Most 
And um, Thorin says, this will be accounted the promised share of the traitor. And um, he, he should depart and you can give him some of it if you want. Of the the money, if you want, but take him if you wish him to live, and no friendship of mine goes with him. That's pretty serious. He's cutting him off, disowning. And then he said, "Get down now to your friends." He said to Bilbo, "Or I will throw you down." What about the gold and silver? Said asked Bilbo. They shall follow after. As can be arranged. Get down. Um, so it says Bilbo was swung down from the wall, so I'm assuming this means on the rope. Oh, wait, um, there, there's a little more. Uh, Bard said, until then, we keep the stone. And uh, Gandalf says, you are not making a very splendid figure as king under the mountain, but things may change yet. And... Thorin said they may indeed, and already so strong was the bewilderment of the treasure upon him, he was pondering whether to be, by the help of Dane, he might not recapture the Arkenstone and withhold the share of the reward. Then Bilbo is swung down from the wall. Um. Yes. So... (sighs) Some of the dwarves actually do feel bad about Bilbo going, but, um, well, they're not in charge. They're not king. Um, And Bilbo cries out to them, Farewell. May we meet again as friends. And um, Thorin tells him to be off, and you have the chainmail on you, which was made by dwarves. It's too good for him because it can't be pierced by arrows, but they can still shoot at his feet if he doesn't leave. Um, or as it was worded, it cannot be pierced by arrows, but if you do not hasten, I will sting your miserable feet, so be swift. And Bard says that um, they'll give him until tomorrow, and that they're going to come back at noon and see if they brought out the um, gold in exchange for the Arkenstone. And if that's done... You know, without any deceit, then they'll leave, and the elves will go back to the forest. And they left, and Thorin sent messengers by Roark the Raven to tell Dane of what had happened and to um, come quick, but be wary. Another day and a night pass. Um, the wind's coming from the west. The air is dark and gloomy, so I'm guessing uh, overcast. And a cry is heard from the camp. And this is the arrival of the dwarves of Dane. Um, that a messen- a messenger had come. Um, runners saying that the army of Dane had arrived and they'd all uh, had good chainmail armor, 
made from a flexible metal mesh that the secret of who was making was possessed by Dane's people. And that the, these dwarves were very strong, even for dwarves, and they carried heavy two-handed mattocks and a short broadsword and a round shield. And all these dwarves had forked and braided beards that they put to their belts and caps of iron and shod with iron and their faces were grim. Okay, so these are proper uh, battle dwarves here. Trumpets called men and elves to to arms. Then the dwarves could be seen coming up the valley at a great pace. And um, they were questioned who they were, and they said they were sent from Dane, son of Nain, and they were hastening to their kinsmen in the mountain, um, where they'd learned that their kingdom of old is renewed. And why are they sitting in the plain as foes before defended walls? Um, and Tolkien, as narrator, is saying, in the polite and rather old-fashioned language of such occasions, meant simply, you have no business here, we are going on, so make way or we shall fight you. And they are uh, meant to push right on between the mountain and the loop of the river, where it wasn't so strongly guarded. And Bard, of course, was not letting them go through, because they were going to make sure Thorne did, didn't pay up his gold. And these dwarves had also brought a lot of supplies with them on, you know, in their backpacks. Yeah, they had huge packs on their backs in addition to their weapons. They could stand a siege for weeks. Um, and by the time yet more dwarves might come and yet more for Thorn had many relatives. So, out of all of the messengers went that were sent to uh, uh, Thorin's relatives far and wide, this is just, you know, um, Dane and his people. So, yeah, you can imagine there could be thousands uh if each of the relatives brought forth an army. And um, Bard sent messengers to the gate again. They didn't find gold. They didn't find payment. Um, Arrows were shot at them, so they retreated. After they retreated, the camp was all astir, you know, preparing for battle. And and the dwarves of Dane were advancing along the eastern bank. And Bard thinks that they're fools to come underneath the mountain's arm like that. And they must, you know, not understand war that's above ground. They only know how to fight underground in the mines. Uh, these, you know, as we'd mentioned before in the previous chapter, these were veterans from the wars between the dwarves and the goblins, so this would have been mostly underground. 
and Bard has a lot of archers and spearmen hidden in the rocks on the right flank of the mountain. And even though Dwarf Armor is good, they're still going to have a hard time of it. And plans to set on them from both sides when they are fully rested. And the Elf King says, uh, Long will I tarry ere I begin this war for gold. The dwarves cannot pass us unless we will or do anything that we cannot mark. Let us hope still for something that will bring reconciliation. Our advantage in numbers will be enough if in the end it must come to unhappy blows. Now, do you think the Elven King really uh, take in at his word he didn't want war? Well, I would imagine uh, nobody wants to see, you know, their people slaughtered. Uh, at least nobody with any sense wants that. Now, I noticed in the movies they brought up... This didn't really come up here, but in the movie they brought it up from the perspective of the elves are practically immortal unless killed. And so going into war like that, they'd they'd lose, you know, elves that should have, you know, lived on and on and on if they didn't, you know, go and get killed in a battle. Right. And... Um, that's an aspect to it. Some elves, maybe not necessarily Thranduil, although I think he likes treasure too. Uh-huh. Um, some of the elves are more treasure greedy like in the Silmarillion. You know, anyway, yeah, they'd reckoned without the dwarves, with the knowledge that the Arkenstone was being held by non-dwarves, and that they were besieged, you know, they've had their, their dwarven anger, and um, they actually decided to attack while Bard and his friends are debating... And this attack started without a signal. It's just like kind of a collective thought. It started shooting arrows. And then it suddenly gets a lot darker. A black cloud went across the sky. Thunder on the wind. Um, Lightning hit the peak of the mountain. Hence the title of this chapter. The the clouds clouds burst. burst. And... Um, underneath the thunder clouds, there's more blackness that didn't come from the wind, and it was a cloud of, it was like a vast cloud of birds, but it wasn't birds. So dense that no light could be seen between their wings. And Gandalf calls a halt, um, in a voice like thunder, and his staff blazes forth with a flash like lightning. Dread has come upon you all, alas. It has come more swiftly than I guessed. The goblins are upon you. Bolg of the north is coming. O Dane, whose father you slew in Moria, 
Behold, the bats are above his army like a sea of locusts. They ride upon wolves, and wargs are in their train. So, the dark cloud is bats. Thousands of bats. And... Borg is the son of Azog. And it says that with just a little asterisk um, at the bottom of the page. If you've seen the movies, uh, how it makes Azog into a major character, Azog is long dead by this point. He was killed by Dane in battle long before the story starts. Um, so this is Azog's son, Bolg, who's leading the army. And it was actually Thorin's grandfather, Thor... Thror, who killed that? Oh, that was killed in the mines of Moria by Azog the Goblin. And yeah, it was Dane who ended up killing Azog, and Dane was like 30, which I'm not sure how that is in dwarf years, but I think that's like a younger teenager equivalent. Well, think, think of. Keely and Feely, who were what in their seventy seven and eighty two, and they're still youngsters, really. So, so yeah, Dane, when he was practically a teenager in dwarf years, meaning he was thirty, um, was in battle with a uh, axe, and he was the one who killed Azog. Um, so now they've got. A new enemy has arrived, an enemy of all of them. And the dwarves stop, the elves cry out, and Gandalf calls them aside for counsel and says to let Dane, son of Nain, come swiftly to us. So now these um, elves, dwarves, men that were about to fight it out with each other... They're all allies now because an enemy of all of them has arrived. And this battle is now called the Battle of Five Armies. Um, on one side, the goblins and the wolves and the other elves and men and dwarves. I wouldn't have thought of the wolves as an army of their own, seeing as they were basically being ridden on as mounts by the goblins, but I guess well, they are. Well, they've got mouths. And I don't exactly know why the bats are allied with any of this, but they are. Um, and here's the thing. Remember how Gandalf, a chapter ago, um, said that some things were about to change? And Do you think he knew this was happening and just didn't say anything? Quite possibly. He, he might have, have had knowledge of... Um... The goblin movements, movements. Of the goblins and the wolves and you know but the timing of everything where everything kind of shows up you know we have this army of dwarves show up right before the the goblins and the wolves show up And, yeah, the goblins had gotten tidings of the death of Smog also. And, you know, they 
they had traveled to the mountain by during the night time yeah, night after night they'd um traveling through the mountains and I, I think that Smog's death was really the catalyst for all of this all of it because yeah Smog's death you know the notifications went far and wide to all different uh groups of everybody people creatures i uh species whatever you want to call this assortment um i think probably just about everybody east of the shire probably heard about it yeah Okay. But even the ravens did not know of the coming of the goblins until they were right there. Um, so they um, planned about how to deal with this new threat. And they were planning to lure the goblins into the valley between the arms of the mountains... And to themselves be, like, on the spurs of the mountain and fight the goblins, I guess, from above. That probably gives them a little advantage, being above. Now, I confess, uh, maybe somebody who's more into war strategy would take more from this chapter... The first time I read it as a kid, I really bogged down in this part. Oh, I am into war strategy to some degree. I mean, I read enough fantasy books with it, but and I'm I'm not really into war at all. I'm more of a pacifist and always <laughs> have been. Um anyhow, uh are we ready to talk about the thunder passing and rolling away to the southeast? Um, okay. Some of the men and the elves actually did climb onto the mountain to try to get that vantage point. And at that point, there's a multitude of orcs and, sorry, goblins, same creature, really. Wolves just all around the the lower part of it. Cries and howls are rending the air. And a few um, brave men were actually before them at that part to make a feint of resistance. And a lot of them were killed because of being... Very outnumbered. Um, but the the goblin army went where they wanted them to go. And the goblins' banners were black and red. And they came on like a tide in fury and disorder. Now I'm going to compare it against the movie again. Mm-hmm. These were bats, goblins, and wolves. Nothing else. Um, I know, um, 
they went all out with how many CGI creatures could be put in the movie. They had trolls, they had trolls with club arms, trolls with ballistas mounted on them, giant graboid worms. They called them wereworms. Uh, the whole werewormb thing, yeah, it's mentioned at the beginning of the book. It never explains what they are. I really get the impression that it's some kind of a dragon type creature and it lives nowhere near there. Whatever they were, they were not in this battle at all. There weren't any goat riding dwarf cavalry, and I don't believe there was any. Dwarven war machinery either. It was all handheld weapons and bows. Now, this battle was the most dreadful of all Bilbo's experiences. And the one which, at the time, he hated the most. Um, and he he put his ring on really early in. Yeah. Which maybe wasn't the courageous thing to do, but, hey, Bilbo wasn't really the warlike sort and and he was also much smaller than anybody else there except I don't even know if he stood as high as a wolf stands on its four feet uh not sure how big those wolves were I always assumed they were larger than average if they can take the weight of even a small goblin riding on them I saw a wolf once in the wild as a teenager, and it was a sizable wolf. I've um, seen wolves in the zoo, and the biggest wolf I saw in a zoo was about the size of a large dog. I got, I think, Malamute-ish sized. Yeah. Well... With the ring on, nobody can target Bilbo on purpose to kill him, but he still is at risk of being hit by accident because there's weapons, you know, flying everywhere. And he is wearing the mithril. Uh, no, his chest is protected. But that doesn't mean... Right. And, uh, his feet aren't, his head isn't he has, so much. He has a regular helmet, which is like some protection, but, well, people have been hit through helmets in battles all the time. And a helmet would be like wearing a hard hat today, which yeah, uh, hard hats are not going to 100% protect you from injury. It'll just help with the smaller stuff. And the elves have a charge and it mentions that their hatred for the goblins is cold and bitter and their spirits and swords are shining in the gloom with a gleam of chill flame. So deadly was the wrath of the hands that held them. Uh, that's interesting because there's the whole thing with Sting and Glamdring glowing in the presence of goblins. And this almost sounds like it's some of the same thing, but it also makes it sound like the the gleaming is from the anger of the elves holding the weapons. Now, at that point... Uh... <clears throat> Bilbo has Sting, but the other dwarves that, you know, have been holed up in the mountain, Thorin and such, 
Their weapons were taken by the elves and hadn't been returned. But they had weapons from the mountain. Right, they had weapons from the mountain, but not the weapons that they, you know, started with further back. And uh, the dwarves also have a charge, and they have their battle cry of Moria and Dane Dane. Um, another movie difference is they are not using the battle cries in dwarven language, which um, they tend to not use dwarven language in front of non-dwarves. Um, but what they use in the movie, Baruch Kazad, that's Axis of the Dwarves. Now, it says that panic came upon the goblins, and honestly, I never thought of a goblin panicking. Um, well, I think that they're kind of cowardly, and like, they're willing to attack in large numbers, but... I think they're more in the wailing travelers that are alone or raiding villages that are asleep. Though, yeah, um, says even if they turned to meet the new attack, the elves charged again with renewed numbers. Already many of the goblins were flying back down the river to escape from the trap, and many of their own wolves were turning upon them and rending the dead and the wounded, wounded. Victory seemed at hand when a cry rang out on the height, on the heights above. Sarah? Um. Goblins had scaled the mountain from the other side. Already many were on the slopes above the gate, and others were streaming down re- recklessly. Oh, and some of them are just falling off of cliffs and precipices. Because they're recklessly on the side of the mountain. And the goblins gather again in the valley. And a host of wargs comes with the bodyguard of Bulg. And these are very big goblins with scimitars of steel. And it's starting to get actually dark. You know, because it's getting on toward night. So they've been battling all day. And the bats are flying around the heads of uh, people and elves and um, actually fastening on like a vampire onto those that had fallen. Baird was fighting to defend the eastern spur and yet giving slowly back. And the elf lords were at bay about their king upon the southern arm near the watch post uh, on Raven Hill. And then there's a trumpet call from the gate. They'd forgotten Thorin. And part of the wall, they actually move it out with levers, and it falls with a crash into the pool. And Thorin and the dwarves with him come out, and they're not wearing hoods and cloaks anymore. They're wearing armor from the Dragon Horde, and... I guess they got weapons from the Dragon Horde, too. And red light leapt from their eyes. In the gloom, the great dwarf gleamed like gold in a dying fire. And uh, they come out and fight, too, and wolves and goblins are falling before them, and Thorn is fighting with an axe. 
and Rocks nothing seeming to hit him. On high by the goblins. And he <clears> said, to me, to me, elves and men, to me, oh, my kinsfolk. Uh, yeah, as if he was totally friends with them. Oh, the animated movie. Thorn straight up is like, oh, great elf king, my truest friend. And elf king's like, your people are like brothers unto mine. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, at the beginning of the day, they were not seeing eye to eye and not friends, according to Thorne. <clears throat> and the dwarves of Dane are all um, rushing to help Thorne, and some of the lake men go to him too, and Bard can't stop them. Um, why would Bard want to stop them? Aren't they... Oh. All on the same side at this point. Yeah. <clears throat> and the goblins are being killed and they're piled in heaps of dead goblins in Dale. And the wargs are scattered. It was dark and hideous with their corpses. And Thorn is trying to drive into the bodyguard of Bolg, but he can't pierce their ranks. And while goblins are being killed... Many men and dwarves are killed too, and um, elves also. And yeah, it makes a point about the elf immortality. Many a fair elf that should have lived yet long ages merrily in the wood. Um, so the onslaught is going slower, but um, the numbers are still too few. And um, the attackers are being attacked, and this point they're um, in a ring facing outward, fighting against the goblins and wolves. And the bodyguard of Bolg comes howling against them and droves in upon their ranks like waves upon cliffs of sand. And their friends couldn't help them. And the the men and elves are being slowly beaten down, and... Bilbo is looking on this, and he's still got his ring on, and he is standing with the elves, and partly it's because he has more chance of escape from where Ravenhill is, and partly it says in the more Tukish part of his mind, if he was going to be in a last desperate stand, he preferred on the whole to defend the elven king. Now that's interesting. Why would Bilbo's loyalty be with the... Well... He'd been with the dwarves the longest, but also Thorin had also almost literally thrown him out and said he didn't want to see yeah, him again. Thorin had already said, there's no friendship between us. <clears throat> and um, also Gandalf was there, and which I think gives Bilbo some comfort because Gandalf, you know, brought Bilbo into it in the first place. And so, uh, I think Bilbo has the strongest tie with Gandalf. Hey, that makes sense. That sound that makes a lot more sense than the Elven King. Yeah. And Gandalf was there, sitting on the ground, as if in deep thought, preparing, I suppose, some last blast of magic before the end. And Bilbo thinks it's not going to be long now, but the goblins are going to get the gate and they're all going to be killed or captured. 
and he thinks really it is enough to make one weep after all one has gone through. I would rather old Smog have been left with all the wretched treasure than that these vile creatures should get it. And poor old Bomber and Balin and Feely and Keely and all the rest come to a bad end, and Bard too, and the Lakemen and the Merry Elves. Misery me. I have heard songs of many battles, and I have always understood that defeat may be glorious. It seems very uncomfortable, not to say distressing. I wish I was well out of it. And the clouds are torn by the wind, and they they see a red sunset in the west. And in the sudden gleam, Bilbo looks around, and he sees dark shapes in the distant glow, and he starts shouting, the eagles, the eagles, the eagles are coming. And Bilbo was right, it is line after line of eagles. And he's still got his ring on. So the elves couldn't see him, but they could hear him, and they take up the cry, and a lot of eyes are looking up, and Bilbo cries the eagles again, and a stone hits him hard on the helmet, and he falls with a crash and knew no more. And that's the end of the chapter. So the battle isn't over yet, though it's taking a turn, because the eagles are seen approaching. Um, yeah, that's, and that's a cliffhanger ending to that chapter. And, uh, when we come back again, we will be doing, uh, chapter 18, The Return Journey, and chapter 19, The Last Stage, which will conclude, uh, our discussion of The Hobbit for this time. Um, and you'll find out how Bilbo's doing how the army, then. Uh, how, how the Battle of Five Armies turns out. Um, what the Eagles coming will will uh, result in. Um, so, sorry to leave you on a cliffhanger, but uh, you will soon have uh, knowledge of what is to come. Thank you for listening to Cast It Into the Fire podcast, and have a great day. Bye-bye.